Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Jay Shankar. Hello. Hello, sir. Hey, Jay. This is is Ryan. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, so yeah. I understand I have... the question was that you uh, go ahead. Yeah, my my question is uh, we have a, a like a, a family and uh, myself uh, we have a uh, I-94 validity till January 2024. But uh, uh, when I'm changing my employer now, uh, they are saying they'll do H-1 transfer only for me. Uh, so dependent since they have a valid visa till January 2024, uh, they can stay um, uh, right without uh, H-4 uh, transfer or we have to do H-4 yeah. transfer also. So like if you're doing an, ex- if you're just doing a transfer, I would say that's fine. Because um, the, their I-94 is still going to be matched to yours and your I-94 isn't really going to change. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're going to do an extension, mm-hmm. you're going to get a longer I-94 and they're not. And so with that said, I would advise you guys to do uh, the H-4 extensions. But if you're just going for transfer, then yeah, there is no real such thing as an H-4 transfer. Um, but if you're going to be doing the extension, which means that you're going to be getting an extended I-94, I would tell you to have the family do the same. Okay. So with respect to H-1 transfer alone, no need to have a dependence uh, to do a transfer. But when it comes to H-1 extension, so I have to file along with the H-1 extension, H-4 extension also, I need to file for them also. So that I-94 will be in sync. Correct. Okay. So uh, if... Uh, if they have a uh, since I'm in a H1B, right? So there is a grace period time. So uh, till that grace period time, before that, if I file H1 transfer, they don't have any uh, kind of a grace period or anything, right? For H4, as long as if I am valid uh, H1 stay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, if I get a before 60 days H1 transfer receipt notice, right? So that uh, I can also stay legally and my dependents also can stay legally with H4 validity, correct? Correct. Okay. 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 Thank you, Jaya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hari? Hey, hi. Hello. Hey, how are you, Hari? Uh, so I was Thank understanding you. that you, you and your wife are both on H-1B. You both have I-140s and you're thinking of going to the H-4 EAD and starting your own business, right? That was kind of my understanding. Yeah, I want to go to H-4 EAD. So want to know mm-hmm. the process, like what is the current timelines and uh, like we need to go out of country for the change of status or something like that. So. You shouldn't. Is it, is your I-94 still valid for your H-1B? Yes, yes. It is still valid. And your job loss was like less than 60 days or so? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's no travel or anything. Just file the H-4 change of status. And at the same time, I would file the EAD. They should be adjudicating them together is my, is my newer understanding. And so that they'll adjudicate the H-4 change of status. I believe the EAD at the same time. And so um, I'll ask my colleague Janelli is on the call as well. She's more of an H1B and H4 expert. 
Janelle, do you have any thoughts on the processing time frame for the H4 and the H4 EAD? Um, when they're filing separate from the H1, it's right now taking about four months. Um, when when the H4 and H4 EAD are filed together. So both H1, uh, H4 and H4 EAD will take around the four months, you're saying? Yes, yeah, so when filed together, um, we're seeing about four months. You can you can gauge five months at the most, um, but we've definitely seen them processed sooner or, um, or quicker than what we were seeing um, a year or two ago. Um, so give give or take that five month um, period. Oh, okay. So for the five months, uh, I cannot work. Uh, correct, even with the receipt. Correct. You, correct. You would. You can't work based on um, receipt notice for the H four, um, or based on the receipt or the approval of the H four. You have to wait for the actual H four EAD green card. I'm sorry, H four EAD um, employment authorization card um, to come to you in the mail. Because that's what you can use for your employer to to update their their records to show that you have work authorization to continue working. Oh, okay, got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Hi. You're welcome. Hi. Uh, so uh, I have uh, filed EB one I four eighty five and my I one forty I. Uh, was approved on like uh, my EB1 was filed on 131-2022 but I had a priority date uh, ported from EB2 2017 uh, April but uh, even though I-140 approved in September my case is still uh, I haven't received any advanced payroll uh, all I got is only the green card EAD but one problem is like my application is transferred in around February 15th of this year to uh, like St. Louis, Missouri uh, field office or NBC. But my family mm -hmm. uh, applications are in LA field office. So I'm worried that they'll just process mine and they'll not process my families because they are in different offices. So they uh, placed a waiver for both my kids, but not for me or my spouse. So, like, how do we, I mean, is that normal process that they process at different centers, but at the same time, or we need to, like, you know, request them to move everything to one center? Um, so, I would say it is normal that they're splitting these cases out like that. Um, okay. We've seen that quite a bit where they'll send the case, kind of the principal's case. They'll break that mm -hmm. off and they'll send it really to okay. a location that has nothing to do with where you live. And I think really that's for processing, manpower processing. It's, it's They can process the cases quicker in certain spots than others. And so that's probably what's occurring and, and the reason why it went to the Missouri office. You're talking about the 485 was transferred, right? Not the, yes. the AP yes. filing? Yes, only okay. 485 was yeah. transferred, not the I-131. And so that that's kind of common. We're seeing that a lot uh, where they go to all four corners of the country. And so don't think it's anything wrong with your case or anything like that. Okay. And on the back end, is there anything we can do to request them to consolidate it? I wish there was, uh, but it does yeah. seem like this is actually a benefit to people on our sides yeah. of the desk. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't tell you to expect like a quick approval, but when it gets sent to those kind of, I'll just call them a weird office. It seems like from our end, we see them approved, you know, it's at least in the queue, right? And so 
rather than it sitting there and collecting dust in LA, hey, let's send it to Missouri so that those guys can can approve it. Um, okay. And that. So, and so when that's my case my, is my approved sense. in Missouri, at that time they will also approve the cases in other offices like of my family. It won't be automatic. I think it'll it'll be kind of a a switch will go off to the LA office saying, okay, now we've approved the dads. Go ahead and approve the wife and the kids. And so okay. that that should be what what happens. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In my case, also like uh, even though I have ported priority date of 2017, since September they are just sitting on it. Like, is there any like uh, I mean, at least by end of September or something? Uh, are they because I am in EB one and uh, mm -hmm. uh, is is there anything to expedite? Because my son is uh, got college admission and because he has no green card. he was asked to pay like thrice mm -hmm. i mean like international fee so can that be a reason to request an expedition uh uscis really doesn't take these expedite requests um i don't want to say at all cuz they do take them but it's simply it typically is going to be along the lines of like my family needs this green card so that like there's a life and death situation essentially that's what it boils down to USCIS and I hate to say that they don't they're not going to care but they're just not going to care that it's a, a tuition issue that you guys are asking for the expedite it's going to come the approval right so for the government's perspective there's nothing like in the humanitarian way uh for them okay. to bump you know the approval up okay thank you thank you sir bharat uh hi ron hey bharat uh yeah i have posted my question okay let me explain so my visa recently stamped h1b visa recently stamped i am planning to travel india the problem here is i do not have original i7 and send me approval notice i just went ahead with a consular appointment with my yep, uh, department of homeland security stamped uh, uh, approval notice i mean i have raised a foia request and they shared uh, approval notice in a copy format so i went ahead mm -hmm. with a consular appointment and my visa got stamped so i'm planning to travel now i just wanted to know if this approval copy is enough for the port of entry and also for to raise the ssn yeah i i don't have a problem with that um at all i i uh, have i94 yeah uscs also mm -hmm. sent i94 data as well yeah and so i mean the way i would maybe tell you to kind of think of it is you're going to be presenting these documents at the border the government's going to either know that they're real or they're going to know that they're fake right you know that they're yeah. real the yeah, government's going to realize that they're real and yeah. and that's it and so yeah i i would tell you don't worry about it and, um, and oftentimes the the folks don't have the original um the you know the what I'll call it the blue sheet exactly we just give the client a copy of the pdf they print the pdf and that's it so for me it's the same thing as what you've got Yeah, in the blue sheet, actually, they will have a header saying I seven and seven B notice of action, but this is a, like just a copy, which was uh, shared. And that's by fine. If they have USA. to pull it up on their, you know, if the officer at the border wants to pull it up on their side, they'll see it, and, and they know that you've got a, a real document, and so and no worries there. No problem with this is an number as well. I can go ahead and raise. No, it shouldn't be. Oh, okay. No. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Roy. Yeah, I, Thank I completely you, agree with that too, Ryan. I think what matters too is just your visa has already been stamped and approved. You're good there. for your entry with a copy and your visa stamp. Yes, I have everything. Thank you ma'am. Thank you sir. Thank you. Venkat. Venkat, you yes, sir. Yeah, sorry, I was not able to mute myself but I'm I'm fine now. Uh, so 
So I, I understood I, that you have a 4.85 under EB2 and the date, yes, maybe the date retrogressed and, and you'd still be current under EB3. So you're interested in what's the inner filing process like, correct? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. And so um, let's say company A had the EB2. That's who you did the 4.85 from. Um, you can get company two to refile the I-140 uh, for the EB3. They use the same perm. So that's that's simple. No, I'm still with Go the ahead. same company. I'm still with the same company now. So okay. I just want to know what is the process for the EB3? Like, can do we have to do a, a I-140 in EB3 or as it is downgrade, can we just do a 485J and an interfile request letter to them? Uh, is that sufficient for interfiling? If you don't have the I-140 approval under EB3, there's nothing to interfile onto. So first step I would say is that you use the perm that you got the EB2 approval for, you file mm -hmm. an EB3 I-140, that's first and foremost. Okay. After that, then you can do the interfiling request and you can do that one of two ways. I'll tell you the formal way and I'll tell you mm -hmm. the informal way. Okay. Formal way is you take the I-140 EB3 approval, you give the supplement J, uh, uh -huh. saying from still company a, um, you know, we're, we're offering him, you know, the same job. It's just a different EB category. That's one way. And that way you'll get a receipt notice from USCIS. Um, and it's a concrete way to know that you've, I'd say properly quote unquote, properly filed the interfiling request. So that's the formal way. The informal way is you just draft a letter and you give a copy of the, the EB3 approval and you ask the government to kind of convert you from EB2 to EB3. You're never going to get a receipt notice there for that. Uh, and you really don't have any proof that the government ever receives it other than like your FedEx tracking or whoever you might send it. And so uh, okay. the process, and I'll reiterate it, is one, you get the EB3 I-140 approved and then you use the supplement J from company A. Mm hmm to to show the government, hey, you know, I have a pending 485. Here's my entitlement, the EB3 approval for the other category. And the government should be uh, converting you. The phrase that they use is a transfer of underlying basis. So if you want to Google okay. that phrase, transfer of underlying basis, uh, you'll see some of our articles. You'll see some USCIS uh, publications as well. Uh, so that's that's the process. And then uh, there's no filing fee to USCIS for the interfiling. Of course, mm -hmm. you have to pay the 700 for the new I-140. Uh, but other than that, there's no fees that you have to pay to USCIS. Got it, sir. That, got it, yeah. I also have one question, sir, that I did not write there. Like, I recently filed my H-1B extension under premium and got approved. Uh, but my wife's is not approved yet. Both were filed together. Uh, I heard, like, USCIS is now processing them together when filed under premium. So is that not the case? But my colleague got his case approved along with his wife's, but mine is not. So did they change the rule again, the USCS <laughs> on processing you know, the H4? Yeah, they, haven't, they haven't changed their rule yet. Um, we have seen slight delays when the concurrent filings are, are um, filed together um, since the settlement. We've absolutely seen them file together, approved mm -hmm. together. Um, I actually um, just had this happen as well within the week the spouses and families um, H4s were approved as well. So it's not a long delay after the H1 approval is, is received. Mine is like, it's almost 15 days. Delay. It is like 15 days mm -hmm. so far. Mine approved, but wife's is not approved yet. And mine is yeah. applied online. I, I got the receipt number IOE starting with and wife's got a receipt number LIN. The, the, my receipt okay. number is IOE. So, 
has your um, approval, did you receive your physical approval or only your email? I, I got my physical approval also, ma'am. I got the physical approval okay. too. Yeah. Yeah, I would say give it about another week. Um, okay. And if that, if, if their approvals haven't come in yet, you can reach out to the premium office and see if maybe um, they can at least give you some type of update with um, with how with how theirs are going. But sure, uh, other other than that, we haven't seen too too much longer of a delay. But mm -hmm. two weeks is pretty common. Got it, ma'am. Um, we entered uh, US on AP. And uh, so right now, as I, my H1 is approved extension, I will be on H1 status. So my wife, uh, her visa expires on May 2nd, the H4. So, but she also entered on AP. And as her application is in process, she should be on a legal status, right? If it is not approved before her expiry date of the old H4. She's on AP status. She right, entered on was, AP now. Yeah, because it was filed... Because it was filed prior to the H four I ninety four expiration date, she's mm -hmm. um, she's covered. She's covered. She's covered right? because of the mm -hmm, until the approval comes through. So that and the AP, AP also AP. provides the cover as well. AP also so, so provides. She has dual, dual, dual covers. Yeah. Okay, that will be great, sir. Thank you for letting me know, and uh, yeah, sure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Of course, thank you. Abzu. Hi, uh, so I just posted my question regarding the you know WH4 uh, filing with the labor department uh, on the employer uh, since he's holding the, all the salaries. So just wanted to check like, will there be any issues like if I if I go ahead and do that uh, later he can he can do any uh, you know retaliation kind of thing. Um. I'll be frank with you. I don't know too, too much about the WH4 filings. Um, I do understand it's a way to alert the government that um, you as the H1B holder are not, be being, are not being paid the LCA wages uh, or are being treated kind of unlawfully uh, as an immigrant. And so um, can you file it? Yeah. Will there be any issues from him? Legally speaking, you can't retaliate against a person, but that doesn't mean that they won't. Right. And so mm -hmm. um, just because the law says, you know, someone can't kill me, that doesn't mean I, I can't go out there and get shot. Right. Like, I, I know that's not a great example, but um, the law prevents people or, or, or puts up a barrier for people to do things. That doesn't mean that they still won't you know, cross that barrier. Mm -hmm. Like the guy shouldn't be holding pay from you, but he still is. Right. And so um, in terms of retaliation, what can go on? Um, I mean, he could withdraw the H-1B um, if you have any I-140s or things like going on like right. that. They yeah. can stop them, but it's not like right. they mm -hmm. can take it above that. And so I don't know, if Janelle, if you have any thoughts, I know you're a little bit more in tune on the H-1B yeah, side. To, yeah, just to add to that, Arjun, are you um, wanting or is it, is it an option to change employers at all? I did. I did move out from that employer um, last week. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So you've already you already have your transfer petition approved yeah, with the new yeah, employer. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And you've already started working with them. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, in terms of retaliation, even if they were to withdraw, let's say their approval notice for you, you've already started um, validly working with this new employer. It wouldn't affect your um, H one B status in any way. Um, to Ryan's point about the I-140, if that's been active, you know, for less than 
six months, then you know that that is a potential um, retaliatory. Yeah, yeah, I already passed all. Uh, yeah, one eighty days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it seems like you're. It seems like you're fine. Then it would just be a matter of will the um, WH four actually lead to some resolution? Um, but you're more than welcome to file it. Okay. Thank you. And one one more point to add is I don't necessarily think the WH4 is going to see that money put back in your pocket. It's really just a, a flag that's waved in front of the Department of Labor's eyes saying, hey, this company is bad. You guys need to look at this company. Um, it's probably going to be your state. Uh, I don't know what state you're in, Arjun, but it's probably going to be your state employment laws are going mm -hmm. to have the actual procedure that you would have to utilize to get that money back in your pocket. So that's really not an immigration issue. That's more of an employment law issue. Um, and that's going to be based on the state. And so if you do want to go with the WH4, I don't think that that's going to put the money back in your pocket. It's just going to put a red mark on this company's name in front of in front of the Department of Labor. Oh, okay. okay, okay, got it. Thank you. Avani, hi. Uh, so I posted my question in the forum. So thing is like I got, I came to US on uh, H4 last month. So though I got my H1B approved last year, I didn't get it stamped. I just came here. Uh, with my kids uh, so like uh, when I'm trying to con uh, consult my company who has raised H1 for me uh, they're not replying to me like to give my original I-797 document I just have a receipt an I-797 copy so how to go ahead with this like so you could request a VAWA for that original I-797 copy um, if it's since it's been about that year mark I don't think that you would be able to request it from the um, service center themselves. The other option would be to file an I-824, a form I-824 that gives a complimentary um, approval. It's not complimentary because it, I think it's a 465 form fee, filing fee, um, but it would at least give you an, a new original copy of your I-797. And then, um, so those would be your options for a new copy. You would need the stamping though. So theoretically, you um, it, it, it was it was a consulate approval, correct? Yes, I had H four consulate approval. Yeah. Yes. The the H one B was a consulate approval. Yes, I I got my approval as well, mm -hmm. but I haven't got it stamped. Okay. I didn't go for so, the box. Okay. Gotcha. And so what ended up what should have happened was prior to to travel, um, the H-1B sh should have gone stamping. If you still work for that same employer, it's likely that they could file um, an amendment petition for you, for example, to, to say, um, it, it, would, it would likely have to be um, a, a separate consultation to kind of go into the options specifically on how the same employer could petition for you on H, on H-1B, but technically you're not on H-1B. Um, you haven't been counted against the cap. Um, because you didn't get it stamped. Um, although you entered, you entered on a different non-immigrant visa. And so in order for you to change to H4, from H4 to H1B, you would have to show that that stamp exists. Um, you can generally for the first time on H1B stamping, we do recommend that you get that stamping from your um, native country. Um, there are some, some countries that do allow for third-party national stamping. But um, it, for first time stamping, we do recommend native country. Um, and so that's kind of how it would turn for you. If you, if you have plans on traveling soon, you can use, continue using your H4. Um, and then while abroad, you can 
schedule an H1 stamping appointment, assuming that you're still, that that employment offer is still available with that employer. Um, if it's not, then they could file a new one or you could file um, with a new employer while you're abroad, wait for that new approval notice, and then um, get stamping based on that new one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we can go ahead with the new one. Uh, even the old, old company doesn't uh, give you the approval notice. Not really. It, it's not, it's likely not going to be successful because you never, you don't have the stamping and you don't have the, anything to prove that the, that the actual um, petition was approved outside of you looking up the case status for that based on the receipt number that you do have. Um, and so one of the things you would have to get your, your copy, whether that's through the I-824 route or whether that's through the follow route. Um, and then from there, you can use that to either seek employment with that old employer again, or try to see if you could file it with a new employer, um, but it's likely not going to be approved because USCISD that you never received the stamping on H-1B. Okay, yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Raj? Uh, hi Ryan, uh, the question is hey, posted, but yeah, I can ask you. So if my H1 is expiring in three months from now, I'm waiting for my current company to file the extension, which is kind of on hold due to uh, M&A. Uh, my question okay. is, can I can I try to apply for 140 EAD if I think I have valid compelling circumstances? Again, after a consultation with you guys, and if I qualify mm -hmm. for the compelling circumstances and we apply for 140 EAD, and while the H1 extension gets filed by the current employer down the line, and uh, say two, three months down the line, I have H1B approved, extension approved, and also 140 EAD gets approved in about six months or so, will 140 EAD uh, negate my H1 or can I continue working on H1B uh, also keeping 140 EAD active, but okay. not using it. Um, okay, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of ideas and issues to talk through there. Um, and so first and foremost, can you apply for the I-140 EAD? Um, yes, yeah, so as long as, um, you know, you're within H-1B status, or I would say within 60 days of, of layoff, um, and you can file the EAD. Um, I would suggest you do take a, an attorney's discussion to talk about the EADs and kind of get a fuller understanding about that. Generally, what I'll say is that if you file the EAD, Harun, would you mind muting yourself, sir? Raj, so what I was saying is um, the general idea, if you're doing the EAD, that the first and foremost primary concern is protection from unlawful presence. Uh, and so for me, I always try to get the idea across to the client that this is an option of last resort. If you have nothing else, File this not for the work authorization. And I'll tell you with 90, 95% certainty, the EAD approval will come. But in that meantime, the, in, the entire purpose that I would want to get across to you is that it's about protecting yourself from unlawful presence. And so it seems to me like the H1 probably be the easier way to go about protecting from that unlawful presence. And it's going to provide for the immediate work authorization where if you file the EAD and you don't have anything else on paper, you're waiting for that EAD to be approved before you can start working. And so let's say today we filed that EAD for you. And then tomorrow the company files the H-1B extension. Uh, the H-1B extension does nothing to impact the I-140 EAD. And the I-140 EAD filing in and of itself does nothing to impact the H-1B filing. Okay. 
Um, now let's say the H gets approved and then the next day the I-140 EAD gets approved. Well, you're still in H H4 status or H1B status. So you're good there. When do you knock yourself out or when does the EAD impact the I-140? I'm sorry. When does the EAD impact the H1B? When you walk into your employer and you say, hey, re-verify me, do my I-9 with this document. Or if you go take another job with someone else and you use the EAD for that job rather than the H-1B, that's going to knock you out of the H-1B status. And so you're allowed to have both going, um, but it's only when you actually use that EAD that it knock you out of the status. Um, and so as long as maybe you get the H-1B job loss or you just say, hey, I'm done with this H-1B job. If that EAD is still active, and by active, I mean like approved and still valid, you don't need to do anything, but you don't have any status anymore. And so if you want to get back into H-1B, you're going to have to travel. You may need to get a new stamp and things like that. And so um, it's important, like I said at the beginning, to have a, a detailed discussion about what you're actually getting into on the I-140, on the compelling circumstance EAD. But it seems to me like you're probably going to be better served with the H-1B and if you want to go with the compelling circumstance filing, you can do that. And really the only thing that's going to quote unquote hurt you uh, if you do the EAD filing is if you actually use it, the result of that is, is it knocks you out of H-1B status really temporarily. You can always get back in, um, but that's, I mean, kind of the general idea. Okay. Thank you, Ryan. That, that clarifies. So it typically behaves uh, when someone has an H-1B and also they obtain 485 EAD, but they tend to continue working on H1 and uh, as long as they don't yeah. activate the 485 AD, uh, that's not going to negate your H1. So very similar to that. Exactly. So, yeah, same thinking. Yeah. Same exactly. Thinking. Yeah, same okay, thinking. thank you, Chef. That really helps. Thanks, and if required, I'll set up a consultation and proceed further right. uh, later. Thank you. I look forward to talking to you. Thanks, Raj. Maria. Hey, Maria. Um, so I, I understand your I-140 was denied and the employer wants to refile it. Um, there's really no special language that you have to put forward. Um, I don't have the language off of the, on the tip of my tongue, but it's essentially um, under certain rule by USCIS, um, any duplicate or um, any duplicate I-140 filings with an expired perm are okay, as long as the perm was, was or as long as an I-140 was filed within the validity period of the perm. If you want to, uh, I'll give you my email. That way I can just say it's a quick paragraph. Um, but that's that's all that I would put on the cover letter. Uh, on the I-140, there's a question. Um, I don't have the form in front of me, but the, there's three questions. One is, has an immigrant petition ever been filed for you before? I would say yes there. And then the question just below that says something along the lines of, um, has the labor certification for this case been previously utilized in an earlier filing? Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Like both. Yes, on that one. Uh, and that's going to put the government on notice that, hey, we're trying to use an expired perm. And all they're going to look for then is a receipt notice showing that you did file an I-140 within the validity period of that perm. And so and so it's very common to refile I-140s after denials, or maybe it was originally filed in EB-2 and we want to do a downgrade to EB-3. Uh, or maybe I left the company in 2010 and now I'm going to rejoin them in 2020. Well, maybe I need that I-140. Uh, I need life breathed back into that I-140. So we refile the I-140. So these refilings are pretty common. Um, if you want to email me, my, my email is Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at R-N, 
lawgroup.com and I'll send you that quick paragraph. Um, and then, no, you don't need to explain the denial or anything like that. You're simply saying, hey, um, we're, we're filing this I-140 with an expired perm. Here's the receipt notice for that old I-140. And the government really shouldn't ask any questions beyond that. Um, I don't even think that they're going to look into the old file to see why it was denied. I've never seen that. No, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. Uh, but for me, it's just, it's as simple as, hey, my perm's expired, but here's the I-140 receipt from that filing. Uh, here, take my $700 filing fee, and, and hopefully they'll be giving you an approval this time. So just the receipt? I don't have to include the denial letter? No, no. I would just okay. give the receipt notice. All right. Thank you so much, Ryan. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you a quick email. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Maria. Rabu? Yeah. Hi, Ryan. And so with employer AI, I got 221G. It's been uh, 180 days. And now I want to go with employer B into the interview. So is it required to withdraw? Um, with the other case, which is under admin processing by employer A. Do you have any thoughts on the 221G? Sorry, Ria. What, um, what was the reason for the 221G for employer A? Did they give it's, you one? It's admin processing. Okay. So it's, been six months. It, it's, been an, it's been an admin processing file? Yeah. Okay. Um, was the employer B petition filed before you um, arrived for your appointment or when was the employer B petition filed? Yes, both both the employers uh, filed in the same year, but employer B got the approval uh, a few months back. Okay, um, I, would, I, I would say that you do need to withdraw. It's going to require you to do a new DS-160 based on the new um, the employer B. And so generally what's been happening with I haven't seen it take this long, um, but what'll, what has been happening for it is it'll come after the Dropbox um, and then 221G to go in person. But if they're just making you wait, um, you would have to withdraw it um, entirely and then send it, create a new appointment for, for the company B. Um, it's, you, you won't be able to kind of just say, um, I've been waiting this long, um, kind of you know, can I, for like emergency appointments or anything like that, you could try, but um, you would have to do a, a totally new DS-160 for company B to set up an appointment there. The 221G shouldn't hinder you um, because it would be based on the A that has been withdrawn, company A's withdrawal. Um, it, that, that's just my take on it. Um, since they're completely separate, you would still, as long as you can prove that the employment is still existing for you with company B and that you have updated um, employment verification letter, client letter, things like that for company B, then then you can create that new appointment. Got it. And so your suggestion is I need to withdraw employer A petition, right? I, I would. Yeah. If you if you want to go with company B, yes. You wouldn't be able to just update the DS-160 with company B's information. It has to be a new one. Got it. Yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, everyone. Thanks for your time today. That'll be the last. Um, be sure if, if we weren't able to get to your questions, if you're interested in, in attending again, we'll have the Zoom call again tomorrow uh, at 3.30 Central Time. And so please, uh, please feel free to join and look forward to talking to you guys again. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites 
rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.